Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. All right, EJ, we finally made it. We're finally in one of the divisions that I cannot wait to talk about, the AFC East. The time has come. Uh, I've been waiting for this one since we started because from top to bottom, this division is just fascinating to me, including the teams at the bottom, quote-unquote, the bottom for now. Uh, The New York Jets, so many storylines, so many narratives, so many changes, so many... Things to be hopeful for if you're part of Jets Nation. Uh, it, it really is uh, a new era in the AFC. So I'm going to toast to that. I got my scotch. Um, down with the Patriots. Is, is that what we're supposed to say today on Jets Day? Down with the Patriots? I think that would make Jets fans extremely happy if we said down with the Patriots. And a lot of other NFL fans, too, who are still you know getting over the last 20 years of dominance in oh, they're never going to get over it they're True. never going to get over it I mean, even bills fans who got to exercise some demons in the playoffs they're just like yeah we want that again and again and again yeah. for two more decades and then it'll be even yeah salty salty's a good way to describe and i you know i get it trust me but i too am really excited to talk about the jets today and that's not something you always get to say but it is 100% true this year Loaded up with players, coaching staff that seems ready to turn the corner. We'll talk about all the storylines and where those hinge, but a fascinating team to dive into. What are you drinking? You said scotch. Uh, yeah, so this is a Brooklyn Port Charlotte, which I did not know until about 30 seconds ago that it's actually 100 proof, which explains why every time I drink it, um, I have a wonderful night. So, yeah, so we have longer It's going to be a great show. It's going to yeah. be a great show. Also, not for the faint of heart. Um, very, very, very smoky Isla Scotch. So before you go buy it at the store, make sure you're into that or uh, you're basically just drinking a campfire. So just be aware. You'll it's be regifting taste. it if peat is not your thing. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, before we get into everything that's about to happen with the New York Jets, as usual, we start with our little recap of what happened in 2021 in last season's action and then we kind of talk about everything that happened from january till now uh obviously did finish with a 4 and 13 record was not maybe what a lot of jets fans hoped for not that it was the worst season in franchise history a lot of things that were out of their control went wrong some key injuries that really hurt them um but maybe wasn't as exciting a first year 
in the uh, the solid Wilson era as maybe we hope for. They did finish last in the division. Home record, 3-6. and six. Road record, this was kind of the main problem. They could not steal any games on the road. Went 1-7. Last five games went 1-4. There were flashes, especially with Zach Wilson. There were some really, really fun flashes. There were some yikes games, <laughs> to put it diplomatically. But there were plenty of flashes that made me think, okay, there's something there. The coaching staff just needs to keep molding needs to keep surrounding him with talent, and maybe we get to see a year-two jump that can potentially put the Jets in a Bills-ish type situation where, remember, Josh Allen as a rookie also had plenty of yikes moments too, and they stuck with it, they developed him, they surrounded him with talent, and now they're the Bills. That's the goal for the Jets. I think comparing their path to what Buffalo's path was four years ago they're kind of right on it. They just got to stick with it and hope it works out. Yeah, they have to have the quarterback jump. The quarterback jump was the key for the Bills, and if Josh Allen had flamed out, we would be talking about the Bills in a very different way. They might have a new head coach by now, and the same is true for the Jets. Like, Zach Wilson had some flashes. I will grant you that. There were plays that made you say, ooh, look, look at that bit of ability. We want to see that more often. To Jets fans credit or <laughs> to salve their wounds whatever it is they were few and far between and the bad the down games the yikes games you talked about were really bad they were hard to watch um they had moments or they were free of some of those moments of glory the, there were whole games that were down for zach and the jets and you talked about some bad situations no no team comes down to one person, but if Zach doesn't take that jump in year two, the Jets are going to find themselves in a tough position with a young coach without an established quarterback and having basically to start over. If Zach can't do it this year, I don't think it would be wise to run it back for year three. We'll see. Now, anything could happen. He could get hurt early, whatever else. But if he's healthy and gets a you know good, solid bite, of the big apple and can't propel the jets with all this talent around him the jets are going to have some very serious questions about what to do next now i hope he does because talented guy and he's taken the off-season conditioning program very very seriously um oh man looks... jets camp twitter has been amazing i don't know if you've been following it i have i have <laughs> Uh, which is why i know that but uh he looks the part he looks ready he looks you know, set to come in, be the guy. Everybody knows he's the guy. There's no competition for him on this roster. He's the unquestioned starter, the unquestioned leader of the offense. He's got to live up to that billing. If he does, this is going to be a really interesting team to watch to see how far they can go. If he sputters, it's going to put them in a rough situation because they've brought in a lot of talent. This is not a like, oh, sneaky good team. This is a, hey, we, we have pretty much all the pieces here we we need you to guide it and if that doesn't happen it's going to get real uncomfortable in new york real quick let's look at the power structure that's responsible for bringing wilson in and surrounding him with so much talent joe douglas year four already as gm you and i pretty much love everything that he does every single year you know there have obviously been some misses like with every gm but total resume in terms of drafting year after year free agency not handing out 
horrible contracts for the most part. I really love how he has built this roster. And I do think that ultimately, regardless of what happens with coaching staff, quarterback, everything like that, I would still keep Joe Douglas because I think that he has built a very strong, deep team that is well-managed in terms of how they handle the cap, too. He's a really, really good general manager. Uh, Robert Sala, he's in uh, year two at the head coach spot. I'm a big fan of Robert Sala. I think he's a great culture builder, great human. Um, Locker room loves him, which I think is more important than people realize for a coach that is not acting as a coordinator. Like I, I, I tend to prefer the CEO types. You know, the Mike Tomlin types where it's, you know, I'm not running the defense. I'm not running the offense. My job is run the building. Mm -hmm. Robert Sala, even though he obviously is a good defensive coordinator, runs the building and he leaves the coordinating part to his coordinators. Those are the head coaches that I really, really, um, that that I love to see work in the NFL. Again, Tomlin, Harbaugh, those kind of guys. I think they do it the right way. Uh, At the coordinator positions, you got Mike LaFleur going into year two at OC, you know, running that classic West Coast Shanahanian-ish type offense, even though the term Shanahan offense is so skewed these days, it can mean a million different things. But it's basically just a way of saying, yeah, they like the West Coast passing game and they love zone runs. Like it's, other than that, it's all kind of interspersed. Uh, Jeff Ulbrick, year two at defensive coordinator, uh, came up from Atlanta. Really, really good position coach. Uh, at DC, I, I think there was not enough talent last year overall to really get a good idea of how he is as a DC. This year, a lot more talent on the roster, so I think we're going to get a little bit better of an idea. Uh, and then Brant Boyer, year seven. He's actually one of the holdouts, uh, holdovers from the old regime that has survived. Actually, I think he survived three different coaching staffs at this point. So uh, if you're a good special teams coordinator, generally whoever the new guy that comes in is going to keep you because it's hard to find a good special teams coordinator. That is actually a much harder position to hire for than you than you think. So when you get a good one, don't let him go. He's got great job security there. And you know the entire roster. That's and one you of know the, the things entire roster. Yes. about special teams <laughs> coaches is they work on, we'll say, both sides of the aisle, right? They they pull from offense, from defense. They, you know, positional guys and, and sort of the guys that are primarily special teams in that third phase, but, you know, have, have responsibilities. They know everybody. So if you're a new coach coming in and you like your special teams coordinator, they can be a great ally because they can, they can give you the skinny on the entire team. So I'm with you on Douglas. It feels different. The jets for a while were lots of swings and misses, lots of wild swings. It felt like they sort of changed tracks every couple of years in terms of their overall plan to build. And that really, it fractures a building. It fractures a, a fan base sometimes definitely is difficult on the cap or cash. However, you're looking at that. Joe Douglas seems to have a unified approach. He seems to be able to hold the line and say, nope, we're going to build the team this way. This is what I'm going to prioritize. Sala seems in lockstep with that as well he should be. And I love Sala in terms of the way he approaches people, uh, whether it's media, whether it's players. He seems like a very respectful guy. He's a very intelligent guy. And I want to see him win. I want to see that rewarded. 
But bottom line is the NFL has got to see wins or it doesn't matter how nice you are, right? However you get them. But I want to see Robert Sala succeed. And Joe Douglas, again, either way, if Zach Wilson works out or he doesn't, he's still got a roster that he could go get a quarterback either through trade or by drafting another one and have a team that's set up for success for the next yeah, the foreseeable future in the NFL is two to three years, and, and Douglas has built a strong enough foundation for that pretty easily. It's not all leveraged. It's not an all-in type of build, um, and I love that too. Lafleur, you talk about Shanahan and West Coast. It's funny because West Coast was the Shanahan before West Coast, right? Yeah. <laughs> pretty soon, like three-quarters of the league was running West Coast, and it, it meant a lot of different things depending on where you were and started to mean nothing. Um, so it's funny that those two are now hooked together. I'm like, oh, it's the new vague term that doesn't tell you much at all. Um, Ulbrich is a great guy, but I'm, I'm with you. I want to see... I think he was really counting on Lawson last year. I really yeah. think he was counting on Carl Lawson and Lawson went down early and it, they, you know, they did all right. They scrapped and they definitely had some games where they scared some people. I, I too want to see it with all the pieces on the field and, and see how he can do helming the whole ship. Um, and Brant, like we said, uh, great guy. If you survive a coaching change or a regime change, really, because he did that too, he's been there longer than Douglas, um, That that's impressive in the modern NFL. There's a lot of house cleaning that goes on. And I don't care if you're a position coach, if you're a coordinator, if you're a scout, if you make it from one regime to the next in the NFL, they liked your work. Looking at the uh, the notable assistant coaches under the coordinators, I can't remember if we looked at these last year or not, but I legitimately had no idea until we were starting this episode that Miles Austin is the Jets receiver coach. I, I they a, a they have a lot of former players on their staff. Miles Austin, I didn't even know he was coaching, let alone the actual wide receiver coach of the Jets. Uh, I that's the I, reason we do. That's these. my childhood, man. Miles, he was my fantasy wide receiver to God for years. <laughs> He made you money, did he? No, that's the reason we we dig these up. We did we mentioned some of them last year, and the reason that I made it its own segment this year is because there this is where all the next coordinators come from. This is where all, you know, the guys that become the hot coordinator and get the headshot two years from now come from. And we wanted to sort of go one one layer deeper in the onion, pull that back for all of you. And there's a lot of recognizable names with the Jets staff, especially. But uh, this year, focusing on it, yeah, there's definitely guys that have been in place a couple of years that I'm like, did we did we know that last year? So this year on offense, the Jets have got Ron Middleton. He's their tight ends coach. He's a former tight end himself. Five different NFL teams, 10 NFL playing seasons, and 11 NFL coaching seasons. So if you're talking about NFL experience, you're talking about 21 years around the league as a player and a coach. Um Ron Middleton made a lot of headlines last year, giving a pregame speech. A lot of people were like, I would run through a wall for Ron Middleton, and, and I would too. So he's he's right up at the top of the list. You brought up Miles Austin, wide receiver, former best known as during his Cowboys stretch, but also played for the Browns and Eagles. He is coaching wide receivers for the Jets, not a surprise. And Taylor Embry, kind of on the other end of the spectrum, uh, was a former Chargers wide receiver, but didn't have anywhere near the professional career that Miles Austin did on the field. But he's coaching running backs for the Jets. So some recognizable names there on defense and special teams. Mark Rand Manuel. Uh, 
longtime NFL safety, six different teams, is coaching DBs slash safeties. So really a secondary coach, but focusing on safeties. Ricky Manning Jr. This one's fun for me because he had a good stint with the Bears. He is a defensive assistant, uh, former DB himself with the Rams, the Bears, and the Panthers. Uh, and Leon Washington, which is mm-hmm. great because he played for the Jets. We talk about how these connections happen. Um, former running back himself, played for the Jets and three other teams in the NFL, comes back as a special teams assistant for the Jets. So it's all about those relationships. We're going to talk about it in coaching. We're going to talk about it when we get to the free agents a little bit, like, hey, how did this guy end up with the team? Well, <laughs> here's the connection he has to the current Jets regime. So um, I think it's fascinating to dig in on this and see where guys came from where their experience was if they left the league and went and coached anything from pop warner to division three to you know their old high school and then they get picked up and you know what does that path look like and it's so different for so many coaches but um great little section to sort of run the way back machine and just like you go oh miles austin (laughs) he was always on my fantasy team and now he's coaching the wide receivers for the jets we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's get to uh, the the roster losses here. And again, as we always say, it could be from anything. It could be, you know, unrestricted free agency, restricted free agency, trades, cuts, anything like that. Basically, these are contributing players in this entire massive graph that are no longer on the roster going into this season. Uh, we kind of narrow it down to key quote-unquote losses or mostly just guys that they let walk away and kind of the general theme as you look at these names again the the ones we highlight Ryan Griffin Tyler Croft Jameson Crowder Greg Van Roten uh, Fola Fadakasi Keelan Cole Morgan Moses Marcus May a lot of these guys played a huge portion of the snaps Morgan Moses played 94 percent of the snaps Uh, Fadakasi is I don't want to say he's like a rotational defensive tackle but he is a role player that he's 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 very much not a three down player but the two downs he does play he's very good at it so he played like 47 percent of the snaps but still a very important player for them uh van roten 65 percent of the snaps crowder as a slot receiver played 50 percent of the snaps which is a fairly high rate for a dedicated slot receiver uh and then you have you know ryan griffin and tyler croft combined had probably about 70 percent of the snaps so a lot of guys played a significant amount for that Jets team. What I found interesting about their quote-unquote losses is most of the guys they lost, they actually ended up upgrading from. So I don't necessarily see any of these as a negative. Like the one that I might paint as a quote-unquote negative is Fatakasi, just because I loved what he brought to the rotation in the sense that he could play anything from a three to a head up G to a nose and, you know, help 
Quinn and Williams get a breather every now and then because Quinn also does that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I, I think that he was key for that. But, you know, looking at Moses, like they're good at tackle still. Van Roten, they're even better at guard. They upgraded at tight end. They still have a good slot option. Like, even though they lost these guys, the team is still better. And so I think that's kind of a testament to to Joe Douglas and how he's very strategic in terms of how he cuts bait on some contracts he doesn't really need. I would say purposeful. Yeah. He's very purposeful about these choices. Like Marcus May, great player. We love Marcus May. Joe Douglas knew he was going to have to pay him a lot of money. And he looked at him and said, hmm, safety. Like, what's the real impact of having a great safety? And what am I going to have to pay for that? And here's the kicker. Health has been an issue for May. Missed a bunch of time last year. Do I really want to tie up a bunch of money in a position that has a little bit lower impact with a guy that has an injury risk? Or do I want to go and do some of the moves that we're talking about? And will I feel that's good enough and I can rearrange those assets? So it's a very purposeful approach. And I'm with you when you look at the ones they lost and the ones they gained, it seems at worst a push, right? At worst, mm -hmm. when you're going line for line, you go, ah, so they're about the same. There were, I can't think of any where I went, oh, well, yeah, I mean, you could, but that's a downgrade. Uh, it's at least even, if not, like you said, ooh, that's, that's better. They, they got an upgrade. And I mean, looking at the guys they did re-sign, it's, it's mostly... You know, depth players, Nathan Shepard for like a million, Tevin Coleman for a million and a half, Connor McDermott, million and a half. LaMarcus Joyner is going to be a starting safety for them, but he's getting 2.6. Mm -hmm. And it was on the older side, but still you're getting a starting safety in today's economy for 2.6 million. Um, it's, it's, it's purposeful, I think, is the right word for it, where it's like, hey, we can we can spend money on stars and still get value elsewhere at our quote unquote, you know, bottom tier contracts and still field very competent players with quote unquote bottom tier contracts. So I, I think the strategy is clear for Joe Douglas, which is spend on star power, spend on positions that are harder to find, fill in the gaps elsewhere and trust your coaches to get it done the which piece which tool does what thing for each gm is so fascinating to watch and the reason we break out free agents in lost re-signed and then brought in from outside is it's pretty clear joe douglas's approach to the re-signed piece of this dirt cheap. is <laughs> fill the roster this you have yeah. to fill the roster somewhere some folks do it through the draft uh i think notably about the rams uh, getting a lot of choices in the lower rounds trading away their higher choices for stars and then filling out the roster with hey we're going to get a bunch of six round picks we're going to put a bunch of fifth round picks that's going to be our backup safeties our special teamers our third swing guard that's those are all coming from you know, down the roster. Here, Joe Douglas has two guys. I only highlighted two guys in his re-sign. Marcus Joyner, who, yes, is going to be a starter, but like you said, is going to be a fill-in and sort of match. And then Braxton Berrios, they paid $6 million, which, you know, sounds like a lot for Braxton Berrios's role, but when you realize the going rate for starting outside wide receivers is 20-plus million and inside guys are regularly getting 10, 
six million for a guy that was productive and is going to pencil into either that third or fourth probably fourth wide receiver role pretty good value they obviously liked him they had him play special teams for them as well two guys out of like the 15 or 18 guys that are here that they resign that are even sort of notable enough to get the highlight everybody else is 895,000 895,000 mm-hmm. 895,000 and these are the guys that are going to fill the bottom of the roster so this re-signed portion or re-signed tool Joe Douglas uses to get those guys that's he's not he's not using that for the big dollars there's no 20 million dollar contracts in the re-sign section now the big dollars he's using that on third-party additions the guys he's bringing in from other teams which boy he brought in some really really good players at in my opinion some really really good values you know Lakin Tomlinson's probably the most money they spent for anybody at about 13.3 13.4 million for a top tier guard that's going to slide in at left guard from day one and be a rock solid force for you I love that deal I love it specifically for Zach Wilson um Jordan Whitehead, you know, makes roughly the same as what May is getting elsewhere, but the difference is one-year deal versus two-year deal. So they can get out of it after this season, and then, you know, compared to the May deal, they're going to get $7 million back next year, where, if, hey, if they want to re-sign Whitehead again, fine, go for it. But if not, if they want to spend that $7 million elsewhere, they can do that, and hopefully by then, Ashton Davis is developing along nicely and he becomes a, ch- a cheap starter for them so i love that contract maneuver where it's technically the same per year but it's for less years so it's more maneuverable cj ozama better tight end than anybody they had in the roster last year so bringing him in at eight million is awesome tyler conklin at 6.75 million again for the tight end two role for them is great they drafted a tight end three who we both like um who probably won't get very many snaps, but I do think ultimately will be a part of their future. We'll talk about him in a little bit. Uh, Jacob Martin, four and a half million for a guy who's going to come in and get 30 (laughs) to 40 pressures for you. Hell yeah. Uh, DJ Reed, a starting caliber corner for 11 million. Fucking great. Like, and then Nate Herbig, I want you to talk about him because even though they didn't need guard, there were several teams out there that wanted Nate Herbig and they were able to get him. Yeah, Jets got Nate Herbig because uh, they had the priority in the waiver order. Eagles cut him loose. Many teams put in their bid for him, but Jets got him because they were first. They had the highest priority. He's going to be a valuable rotational guy. You said they're very strong inside. They are. Nate Herbig's not challenging for a starting spot if if things go well. Um, But he is a very experienced and very valuable piece, and you are only as good as the weakest link on your offensive line. And this is another example of Joe Douglas sort of putting those bricks in place that one injury on the interior offensive line is not going to hurt us because I went out and got you know a very valuable asset that a lot of other teams wanted and probably you know the bears put in for her big as well and if they'd gotten him he'd be starting he would be oh, the yeah. starting right guard right now so that's the kind of player where you're getting a player that can be a starter on another team but he's a backup for you and you do it anyways like that's you know that's very chris ballard like right that you're pulling in talent doesn't matter if we've got it we're stacking it so that we are not only good against injury this year but as we go forward we've got options can let guys go and sign big deals elsewhere if they play really well and have an experienced guy without having an open hole in the roster the whitehead move i love because i think he is 
extremely solid and was underrated in the Bucks defense, overshone by a lot of stars they had there. I think Jets fans are going to love Jordan Whitehead very quickly and for $7 million, a very reasonable deal. Their tight end room is good, right? <laughs> they are easily three deep, if not four deep, with Uzama, Tyler Conklin, Ruckert in the draft we'll talk about, and a guy that I really liked last year, Kenny Yeboa, as their fourth tight end. Like, What an ideal role for him. If you talk about that as a four-tight end room, and again, we talked about it during the draft, different guys with different skills. None of those guys are exact overlaps. They all bring some different strengths that you can bring in in certain packages. That's great. That's much better than their tight end room looked last year. Again, Douglas sort of stacking pieces and saying, I'm going to give us depth. I'm going to give us options. Um, great approach. Lakin Tomlinson, they're bringing him in as a starter. $13 million, I get it. Reed at $11 million. This is like perfectly timed either second or early third wave free agency shopping, mm-hmm. right? It's not dumping a bunch of cash for big splashes in the first what was two days this year. It's usually the first week, but the first wave felt like two and a half days where everybody just opened up the money bags and dumped them out on the ground. Um, Douglas sort of held his powder through that and then went and got guys that are going to contribute play and roles aren't too expensive, real values, great, solid team building approach. I'm convinced that they signed Reed because they weren't sure because they got him I think in second wave of free agency so what is that like late March something like that I'm convinced they signed him because they weren't convinced they were going to get sauce and then they got sauce anyway so now your top four corners if you're looking at the the Jets depth chart as a whole DJ Reed and sauce are probably your starters Bryce Hall is your technically dime corner because he's not going to play inside that's going to be michael carter bryce hall is your dime corner as your fourth guy as your injury insulator is awesome bryce hall was really really flashing a lot last year um played very very well not just in spurts but consistently i thought he was also a starting caliber corner going into this year and he's their fourth guy he's not even he's going to be their um they're AJ Boya. If you're if you're a Texans fan, listen to this. And you remember the secondary where they had Jonathan Joseph, Kareem Jackson. Um, they had AJ Boya as the fourth. I'm trying to remember who the third guy was, but Boya basically just came on the field anytime they had to cover a tight end, and he was their tight end guy. Like that's going to be Bryce Hall. Um, so I'm, the secondary is crazy. The secondary is crazy. I'm not sure about Hall sort of conceding that outside spot because of something you alluded to when you were talking about him, which is. He played real well in stretches last year, really mm-hmm. well. He's got great size. We loved him coming out of Virginia. And I don't know that he's just going to roll over with Reed. I know they paid Reed $11 million, but that's borderline starter outside money, right? So I think that Hall could be the starter opposite sauce outside. And again, when they go to three, four wide receiver sets, DJ Reed could come on, be the outside guy. Hall could rotate to the inside for either the power slot or the tight end. But I think he might start and rotate inside, and Reed would would fill the spot. We'll see. It'd be a fascinating camp battle at the top of the show when we said this was an interesting team with a lot of storylines. This isn't the only one. There's going to be a lot of these throughout the early portion of the season, not just the offseason, where the Jets are figuring it out, and what they come up with is going to be really interesting to watch. 
so just I mean, looking at all these additions, I think I think now it makes sense why I'm saying like, yeah, they lost guys, but not really, you know, because pretty much all their losses they they either filled in or outright upgraded. Like this is a better a better roster of veterans than they had a year ago. And for Zach Wilson's sake, that's amazing. But it didn't stop there because Joe Douglas, just a month later in the draft, even by Joe Douglas standards, he's a good drafter. He's a great drafter even. He crushed it. I mean, we talked about in in our post-draft episode, like this was one of the three best classes in the NFL. Consensus. Like everybody, you ask who had the best draft class, 60% of them are going to say the Jets. He absolutely nailed it. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. As I said before, got sauce at fourth overall. He was the second corner off the board right behind Stingley. Definitely appropriate value. He's a dog. Day one starter. All that kind of stuff. Garrett Wilson at 10th overall. Really reminds me a lot of Keenan Allen coming out. Not quite the same build, but in terms of footwork, skill set, all that kind of stuff. Very, very Keenan-ish to me. And I think he's going to be a, uh, a menace on third down with how elusive he is. Jermaine Johnson, pick 26. To get an edge talent like Jermaine Johnson that late, phenomenal value. Um, I don't think that he's going to be starting immediately, but that is not a knock on him as a player. That is just a statement of this is a very, very, very talented defensive front where he he's going to have to fight for snaps from day one from Carl Lawson, from Jacob Martin. Um, you know, he's going to have to fight fellow rookie Michael Clemens for it too. So he. He might be a guy that's only playing 40% of the snaps per game, but if anything, he also might be the most efficient pass rusher on the team at 40% of the snaps per game. Uh, Brees Hall, most people's top one or top two running back, either him or Kenneth Walker, I think was the, the obvious choice for most people. Get him at the top of the second round, which seems to be the sweet spot at running back around the league. Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, Jonathan Taylor, a lot of great running backs went in that range. He's going to be the next one, in my opinion, probably in your opinion too. Uh, Jeremy Ruckert, we talked about him a little bit. Round three, he's their tight end three. He'd be a TE2 at worst on a lot of teams. Very, very nifty route runner, solid hands. Um, Weirdly effective in the red zone in that a high percentage of his catches went for touchdowns to the point where we thought he actually had a lot more catches than he did just because a lot of his catches ended up being touchdowns. Um, Max Mitchell, this might have been one of my three favorite picks in their whole class. Very, very good uh, swing tackle prospect. He played right, he played left. Sometimes not just within the same season or within the same week, but within the same drive, he was switching between right and left against Texas and completely shutting down their edge rotation. Very, very good swing tackle prospect. And then rounding it off a name that I already mentioned, Michael Clemens, um, ultra-talented, long, polished edge prospect out of Texas A&M. 
zero reason he should have gone at 117, but good for Joe Douglas getting him. Again, he's going to be another one of these guys who is not playing anything more than 30% of the snaps per game, but I still think he's going to he's going to rack up a bunch of pressures as a rookie just on efficiency. Top to bottom, man. Top two, top three class in the league consensus. I have zero, and I mean zero, complaints. No, it's almost impossible to complain about this class, and I'm going to say something which sounds like backhanded praise for Joe Douglas, but isn't. This class should have looked like this. <laughs> there are seven picks here. They're basically in the top 100. All of the them. <laughs> last pick is 117. Yeah. The second to last pick is 111. Other than that, I mean, yeah, pick their, you know, picking the third round was 101, but you're basically talking about seven picks. Well, fine, we'll just call it the top 120, right? You have seven picks in the top 120, including three in the first round. This class should look like this. And it's a credit to Douglas that it does because we've seen a lot of teams with a lot of draft capital blow it right you go back <laughs> historically and you look at teams that had two first round picks not a lot of them nailed both right yeah some of them didn't nail either right they had two first round picks and came out with two players that did not make impact he's got three in the top you know in the first round and i would say two out of those three are pretty much gonna be really solid for his team and everybody he got after that in the rest of the filling out the top 100 all have a path to playing time all are impressive in their own way have roles that they can contribute in as rookies some of them big roles just value versatility it should look this way and it does and that's really good news for Jets fans I'm not sure that I go with the Keenan Allen comp for Garrett Wilson I think he's he's a little he's definitely looser in his route running he's I think more athletic actually than Keenan was um, but has more to learn so there's sort of more explosion there but that level of polish that third down killer trait that Keenan has he's gonna have to work to develop that um, but he's gonna be getting reps uh, largely both based on talent and where he's picked. Like, you you don't stash that guy on the bench. You don't pick a guy at 10 uh, and then go, we'll see what he has next year. Like, he's going to get a lot of chances to get in with Zach Wilson first-round reps. And, I, I, I saw know. a clip of him in, in camp, by the way, and just the way he runs, I, I quote-tweeted and I said, man, he, he runs like Stevie Johnson, just the kind of, like, crazy legs kind of style where you really yeah. don't know where his balance is. And it turns out he actually study Stevie Johnson and, and patterns his game after Stevie Johnson. I was like, that makes so much sense. Just the way he moves where you don't really know what direction he's going. Um, it looks unconventional, but it works. It works makes really, him, really well. <laughs> makes him a tough cover. Uh, yeah. Sauce I compared to Darrell Rivas several times during the draft, so it's ironic that he ends up with New York. I believe like you do that that's a guy you pencil in and he doesn't come out. Like short of injury, he's going to be in that starting lineup for a long time because he was, I don't want to say head and shoulders above, but he was clearly at the top of the corner class and ready to go right now. Um, Jermaine Johnson, yeah, he's going to be competing for snaps, but the cool thing about him and where they got him is he's going to be competing all over the line. He's a 
big, solid dude. This is not one of the more spindly edge rushers in this draft. He's built like a true DE, you know, can easily slide into four, three on long passing downs. Um, I think is probably most comfortable at like five, six, uh, but has true edge moves if he gets out wider than that and is the isolated guy. Um, Salah, you know, comes from a system with the 49ers where they have, they really like those versatile big bodies that they can move around and bring from different angles, um, scheme different pressures to get different guys open on different snaps. And Jermaine Johnson sort of as a versatile mold fits all that. Also sets the edge like a menace with that strength in his (laughs) hands. He's really, really strong. Was one of the best run setting edges in this draft yeah so you you can tell he used to play for georgia yeah he's he's a heavy dude and can move all over that versatility is going to help him a lot in his rookie campaign and it's going to help the jets too yeah this whole class just reminds me a lot of um if you remember the 2013 vikings group where they had three first round picks as well and out of those three first round picks they got shree floyd xavier rhodes Cordero Patterson, and then just as added benefit, uh, UDFA, they got that year by the name of Adam Thielen. So uh, yeah. hell of a bum, class for the Vikings. And bum, uh, bum, I, bum. Yeah. Um, let's get to, speaking of UDFAs, let's get to the UDFA hall for the Jets. Uh, there's a lot, like just straight up a lot of dudes going to be in Jets camp. Yes. There are a lot of dudes, and I would say these are mostly dudes, and I'm not going to fault Joe Douglas and his staff for that. I am on record many times saying I prefer this approach. Bring them all in. Get a look. Get your medical staff on them. Get your coaches with them for two or three days in rookie minicamp. See if you've got anything. If not, Maybe they're a midseason replacement, whatever. The, so there's a lot of names and not a lot of what I would call impact or star talent, guys that slip. There is one, and that's Zonovan Knight, the running back from North Carolina State. Goes by Bam. So Bam Knight is what you'll hear most often from the announcers. Really liked him. He was one of four running backs that I sort of had highlighted pretty early in the process as lower round guys that I thought were really great values. One of those guys is Damian Pierce. He, uh, he climbed a little bit by the draft process. So it wasn't really so much a low rounder anymore. I did think Bam Knight was going to get drafted. If you want to get excited and you're a Jets fan, go look at the 2020 tape for Bam Knight. 2021 was not as good a year i'm not going to call it an off year but the 2020 tape was full of impact runs if you'd looked at that tape a year before he got drafted you said this guy's going in the first three four rounds easy very talented guy big program um ends up going undrafted again one of those guys that peaked a little bit earlier and then had a somewhat down senior season and there are a lot of running backs in this draft so joe douglas and his staff come and scoop him up for nothing I do think he'll make, at the very least, the practice squad. But if they have any injuries, he is tremendous insurance against that. The rest, not a lot. <laughs> like A <laughs> um, lot of guys. And, you know, some of these guys will stick. They always do in every camp. But no no other guys besides Bam Knight that I would highlight. Um, 
just a lot of dudes and again it's pretty interesting to watch the process like what did they bring in the most of and there's a whole lot of cornerbacks and safeties on here they are dj looking... ford i think has a shot but there's there, there might be like one spare safety spot on the roster and he's going against eight other guys to get it but if i had to pick one of these safeties yeah. to make it probably dj ford but it, it's still a long shot it's yeah they're all long shots and that's a, the nature of being a udfa uh tony tony adams the safety the other safety from illinois uh in this draft will be competing with him for again probably a special team slash practice squad slot practice squad rules have been relaxed even further again this year for the longer schedule so guys can go up to the active roster back to the practice squad multiple times during the season even more so than last year so just because a guy quote unquote makes the practice squad it's it's not an insult right he could well be on the active roster three four five times during the year and again if you get that guy for free in udfa it's huge value how powerful is cox internet Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. All right, time for team floor, team ceiling. This is the segment that we wrap up every show with. Um, this is our impressions of what is their ceiling in wins and what is their floor in wins. And just like a couple of other teams out there, the Jets are one of the teams that I think has the widest ranges because a lot of their success or failure depends on Zach Wilson. And we don't really, like we have high hopes, we have expectations. I mean, you and I both had pretty high grades on him. We both thought he was a first round talent. Um, and I think if he reaches the potential, to me, this is a 10-win team. I think they could absolutely go toe-to-toe with most of the other AFC powerhouses. I mean, hell, they ripped off some wins against AFC powerhouses last year, and they weren't even a very good team. Um, so it's it's possible that they could be a 10-win team, make the playoffs, all that kind of stuff. Will they push the Bills for division lead? Eh, I'm not going that far yet, but yeah, you told me tomorrow they're somewhere between five and seven seed. I'd believe it. That being said, if Zach Wilson does not take the next step, and by take the next step, I mean, is he better in structure? Because a lot of the flashes we saw, it was very similar flashes to what we saw at BYU. It was out of structure stuff. When a play broke down, either either due to him holding the ball too long or not. Sometimes plays broke down that really didn't need to break down, but he still made it happen anyway because he's Zach Wilson. I want to see him do those throws in structure, in rhythm, you know, making a good read pre-snap, following through on that post-snap, identifying a rotation, and not getting his, his pocket picked, you know, by some random Patriots DB for the third time in the same game. I want to see him operate in structure. That was the one thing we were worried about coming out of BYU, and that proved to be a little bit of an issue as a rookie as well. If he improves in that area, which is literally just asking the bare minimum of, hey, execute the concept as designed and just be calm while doing it. Don't run yourself into trouble like you were last year. If he just does that baseline level improvement, 
this is probably going to be a 10-win team. If he doesn't take that step, it's probably going to be a 5-win team. So it's all over the place, and there are a range of options in between that I could also see. But for me, just based on the volatility that is Zach Wilson, where there's high highs and there's low lows, I think it's either going to be really, really good or really, really bad. I think he gets a half a season to prove exactly what you were talking about. And and physically, he looks more ready to do that. He's come in, he's probably added... Looks to be like 20 pounds worth he's, of muscle. He was, he's big. He's he big. was slight last year, yeah. and that does not make you want to hang in the pocket in the NFL. That makes you want to scamper outside and get away from that, and he did that sometimes too early, much like he did at BYU. He looks ready to stand in, take a few more hits, take some punishment, but it reminds me very much of Patrick Mahomes in his first starting season, not his first season in the NFL, and Andy Reid had a rule, and the rule was – the first two and a half seconds are mine after that do what you want but Mm -hmm. for two and a half seconds you have to do what i say right you have to do it the way i say it you have to go through like you said the play is designed i need you to stand in i need you to execute your reads if it breaks down after that hey man (laughs) i don't want to legislate the cool stuff out of your game go do you right but if you do it before two and a half seconds you and i are going to have a conversation and it feels like LeFleur probably has to have a similar rule with Zach, which is for two and a half seconds, do what I'm telling you. Go through these reads. Um, you know, make your pre-snap adjustments, hang in, play from structure. After that, hey man, if you want to roll out and throw a 65 yard bomb for a touchdown at four and a half or five seconds, have at it. Go which for he it. can absolutely do. Yep, he's good at that <laughs> part. We know he can do that part. It's the yeah. other part that you're you're going to get 60 to 70% of your production in that first two and a half seconds in structure in the NFL. That's the way that it works. You're going to have your flashiest plays after that outside. That's fine. I think he gets nine, maybe 10 games to do that. And if he doesn't, I think this team makes a really interesting pivot. You know what? Who? Nobody. They keep Zach Wilson in the game, and they take the ball out of his hands, and they become the Tennessee Titans. Oh, you're saying, oh, it's the Brees Hall show for the second half they of the year. They load up. Yeah. They've already got a very talented and powerful offensive line, and they say to those guys, guess what? You're going to get to eat. We talked about they have four tight ends. They could keep five on the roster if they want to. They actually have six in camp, seven if you count a UDFA. Like They could have load up. Five tight ends, that very powerful offensive line, Brees freaking Hall, and Michael Carter giving him, you know, breath if he needs it. And they go, Zach, you're going to throw the ball 15 to 18 times a game. And we want you to make some plays on those throws. Other than that, Brees Hall's getting 20. Michael Carter's getting five to seven. You're throwing some flares other than that. And you're going to get to take somewhere around 15 shots a game on what we would call traditional pass the line of scrimmage passing, but no more. Like, we are literally taking the ball out of your hands because you've proved to us over those first 10 games that you're not taking those steps, and we can't afford to lose this year, so we're going to go bully ball. We're going to we're gonna transition. We got this running back. And that it could makes work, that, though. I mean, Titans are making playoff runs, you know. It, it, it makes that Brees Hall pick make a lot more sense. A lot of people uh-huh. said, oh, they had all these high picks, and they picked a running back with their fourth pick, you know, way up there. I think this is their hedge. 
right? We want Zach Wilson to make plays. We gave him a receiver at number 10 first. We didn't pick a running back at 10. Like we're giving him all the weapons. We want him to take that step. But if he doesn't take that step, you know, Robert Saul and Lafleur both have roots in San Francisco. We're going to a varied and attacking running game and we're going to hope our defense holds and that's how we're going to gash people we're going to limit you know which is not an unlike jimmy g sort of game plan they're familiar with it i don't think they'll start with it except except if we need to throw a deep post zach wilson can do that i fully agree but if they're not comfortable with that bias we talked about in the pocket plays versus outside plays that happen much later. If he shows growth there, they're going to let him have his leash and they're going to, they're going to win that way. But if that proves over the first half to starting to get into two thirds of the season, they're not going to wait all year. They're not just going to let him keep chucking it up 25 times a game. If he hasn't made good decisions and he hasn't again, learned to maximize that early part of the play, they're going to, they're going to put the ball in Brees Hall's hands and say, go mash a bunch of people offensive line. Well, fascinating team, uh, range of outcomes could very easily be a, another Cincinnati Bengals situation where it's like, yeah, we got high hopes. We'll see how the quarterback progresses. And next thing you know, they're in the Super Bowl. could very easily Happened to the New York Jets too, as wild as that is to say. Uh, and and we and it could go the opposite way, to yeah. say it nicely. We'll, My we'll ceiling's see. eight. My ceiling's eight. I I I want to see Zach Wilson prove it. <laughs> right. I think he's got to do that before I say ten wins. Because the other thing is, if, if that roster, it's, let's just say in your in your ceiling, Zach Wilson's competent or not even competent. Zach Wilson's good. Mm-hmm. He's fine. If Zach Wilson is fine, I don't know how that roster is winning less than eight games. I do. <laughs> it's the AFC East, right? I mean, there, there are no cupcakes in that division. It's going to be tough to win against Buffalo. We know that for sure. It's going to be yeah, tough to win against they're... Bill. No, I mean, talent on paper, they're a very talented team, but you're telling me they're going to sweep Belichick? I think they beat, uh, let's just say they split right. AFC East. I, I would say split would be decent, but Miami's going to come for them too. Like Mike McDaniel's not going to leave off on his, his old I'll, colleague. I'll, I'll, and... I'll, I'll start at three. So they split AFC East. I think they beat the Steelers. Um, this is going to sound fucking weird, but I think they beat the Packers. Uh, and this is just that does sound Zach, pretty if weird. Zach Wilson, if Zach Wilson works out, this is the scenario we're going with. I think they I'm beat the saying Packers. even if he does, they like, beat the does he shit out? out of the Bears. Almost guarantee it. If Zach Wilson works, if he uh, works, they beat the Lions. They beat the Jags. Mm, they not sure absolutely annihilate the Seahawks. And now it's like okay, if they beat the Vikings, they're at ten. I know, but I'm not it. Seahawks, yes. Jags, maybe. We talked about how the Jags under Peterson could be a lot better. Lions, I'm not giving you that one. I, I It'll think, be a dogfight, but it's possible. Think, oh, it's possible. And again, if Wilson is clicking, it's very possible. He is the X factor. And if he is making big plays down the field, this team can win a lot of games. AFC East, I'm not giving you the split with Buffalo either. I'm, I'm going to say Buffalo starts probably favored in both of those games split with new england sure 
Split with Miami. Yeah, sure. There's a lot of, uh, we'll talk about all those teams coming up this week. But I, I don't think any of that's guaranteed. Can they do it? Sure. Uh, you know, if I was putting my, if you said double digit wins for the Jets and I had to put real money on it, I'd, I'd be thinking about that bet for a while. My floor is the way. same as yours. Every year I get excited about the Jets. <laughs> Every year I predict this. I'm going to be right eventually. This is this is like your Chargers pick, right? Everybody's Every, Chargers. No, this is pick. like three years in a row. You can watch. I'm I'm high on the Jets every single goddamn year. I'm gonna be right eventually. Yes, you are. Might not be this year. Yeah, but it's coming. <laughs> broken broken atomic clocks are right twice a century, something like that. I don't oh, know. God. Uh, is this no, how Jets I, fans feel all the time? This is terrible. <laughs> I I don't know. I think Jets fans hope. should be hopeful. I know that doesn't sound like a hopeful end to the episode, but. There's so much talent here, and the unlock is Zach Wilson's progression. That's what it comes down to. And they have all their eggs in that basket, let's be honest. They are not expecting Joe Flacco to come in and carry this team to eight or nine wins, you know, if he has to play most of the games. That's not the deal. This is Zach Wilson's show. He has to prove it this year. It's a huge and pivotal year for him, the staff, the whole team. And yes, Douglas has built a good roster, but that roster will look really good under another starting quarterback too. And everybody knows that. So Wilson's got to step up, make those plays, get the wins, carry them over the finish line in what is a dogfight of a division. So it's fascinating to play out. Variability, I would say, is high and so much pressure. There's always a pressure if you're a quarterback in New York, but there is so much pressure on a second-year quarterback to say, no, you got to do it. um, When we talked about all these roster moves, what they did is erase excuses. There mm-hmm. are very few excuses left on this roster. And None. Wilson's got to carry him. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, this was fun. I love the AFC East, man. They're always entertaining. Every single Great year, division. they're always entertaining. Yeah. Fuck, I love these guys. Uh, all right. We're going to be back tomorrow with, I think, the Dolphins, right? They're number three. So I think we're doing Dolphins and then Patriots and then Bills and then the division macro kind of round up on friday uh it's gonna be a fun week i love it absolutely love it uh we'll be back here same time tomorrow same place until then later take care